to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. Cannabisradio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. You're not high. You're listening to The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. You're going to find really wonderful, well-meaning, well-spoken people, and then people that are just batshit crazy. Okay, maybe you're high too. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, September 28, 2016. A new WBZ UMass poll shows increasing support among a majority of voters for legalizing marijuana in Massachusetts. Question four is, quote, an initiative petition for a law relative to the regulation and taxation of marijuana, end quote, that is supported by 53% of the 700 voters surveyed with just 40% opposed. All demographics support legalization except voters over age 55. Voters were also asked about aspects of legalization that bother them. Toking in public would bother 61% of respondents, 52% worry about public pot advertising, and 41% are leery of a pot shop in their neighborhood. WBZ's poll shows three three points more support than a WBUR poll released two weeks ago that showed 50% support and 45% opposition. A marijuana industry group is asking Oregon lawmakers to delay October 1st deadlines for the state's new pot regulations by at least 30 days. The Oregonian reports that the Oregon Cannabis Association last week asked the joint committee that oversees marijuana rules for extra time to meet regulations about how pot is tested, packaged, and labeled. Association attorney Amy Margolis said many businesses simply aren't ready to comply and can't afford to shut down while they get everything in order. The October 1st deadline for implementing new policies to address public health and safety concerns about recreational marijuana focus on testing and screening for pesticides at accredited and licensed labs. The new rules are far more extensive than what the state requires now. Delaying the rule would mean marijuana producers and processors could continue to take their product to labs that aren't up to the state standards. An applicant for a license to grow medical marijuana in Maryland plans to sue a state commission for allegedly failing to consider racial diversity when the panel named the top 15 finalists, a lawyer for the applicant said Tuesday. John Pica, who represents Alternative Medicine Maryland, said the applicant plans to file the suit 
next week against the Maryland Medical Cannabis Commission. Pika said Alternative Medicine wants to stop the panel from taking further action on awarding licenses until it follows a provision in state law requiring diversity to be considered in the process. Alternative Medicine is led by Dr. Greg Daniels, a black physician and businessman. It will be the third lawsuit filed against the commission by would-be marijuana growers in a highly competitive process. Green Thumb Industries and GTI Maryland filed lawsuits this month after they were bumped out of the top 15 by the commission and replaced by two other applicants in order to fulfill geographic diversity stipulations in the law. There were 146 applicants for the 15 licenses the law currently allows. Some New Hampshire medical marijuana patients are waiting more than 40 days before they receive authorization to use cannabis dispensaries. The Concord Monitor reports a backlog of applications at the Department of Health and Human Services means more than 100 identification cards have been approved but haven't been sent to patients. John Martin, chief of the HHS Bureau of Licensing and Certification, says the Bureau isn't complying with the statute that calls for approved patients to receive their cards within 20 days of applying. But Martin says he expects to eliminate the backlog by early October. The New Hampshire Medical Marijuana Program started issuing cards in December and has sent out cards to more than 1,300 patients and approved 65 caregivers. A retired judge appointed by the state Supreme Court to review an Arkansas medical marijuana initiative's petitions as part of a lawsuit said Tuesday that more than enough valid signatures were submitted for the proposal. The lawsuit, filed by Normal Legal Committee lifetime member attorney Kara Banka of Little Rock, sought to disqualify Issue 7, a medical marijuana initiative that includes some cultivation rights for patients, from appearing on the November ballot due to violations of signature-gathering regulations. Separately, the Supreme Court said it wouldn't reconsider its decision to reject another lawsuit trying to block the proposal. Retired Judge John B. Robbins said that the report to the court, he only disqualified around 2,000 signatures, leaving Issue 7 with more than 7,500 more than they needed. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Wednesday, September 28, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber. Doctor's orders. Less heat, <laughs> more flavor. Not enough money for schools. Since we made marijuana legal, our schools are better and our kids have more opportunities. Crowded courts mean police cannot protect our streets. The great thing is that here in Colorado, law enforcement is able to focus on the number one priority for all of us, which is preventing violent crime. Never enough money. Since the passage of Amendment 64, I have seen an increase in resources for our schools. It's your turn to regulate marijuana. This is the Russ Belleville Show, annoying Kevin Sabat since 2012. 
Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest growing business association in the fastest growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel One on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Focus, we take a look at a study that's out uh, being reported on U.S. News and World Report that uh, links pot use to relapse in psychosis patients. Uh, the, uh, the study was published uh, on Health Day News and it was done by researchers at King's College in London. And uh, what they found here, uh, according to the uh, co-author of the study, Dr. Sagnik Bhattachara, quote, we show that pot use causes an increase in the risk of relapse in psychosis and demonstrate that alternative explanations are unlikely to be true, end quote. He further adds, Quote, it would be appropriate to at least aim for reduction in pot use in patients with psychosis if complete abstinence is not realistic, end quote. Now, uh, psychosis, of course, uh, a very serious mental illness, uh, breaks with reality, hallucinations, delusions, struggling to speak and, and think. Uh, and sometimes psychosis is a symptom of a greater mental illness like uh, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, or depression. This is all from the National Alliance on Mental Illness. Uh, BMG Open, BMJ, the British Medical Journal, uh, also published a study that linked pot use and psychosis, uh, giving them higher levels of hospitalization and less response to medications. So there's been a few of these studies recently that have come out. This new one is a study of 220 patients, 18 to 65, first-time psychosis, and then try to use statistics to figure out what happened if they smoked pot after they were treated. And so they found that the risk to the patients, like the chance they would relapse, go through another psychotic episode, was 13% higher when they used pot than when they did it. And the odds appeared to go up if they used more pot. So they're making the suggestion here that uh, if you have a psychotic break and then you recover, if you smoke pot, you're more likely to have another psychotic break. And the more smoke, more pot you smoke, the more the chances go up that you will. They don't say how or why. Uh, they just say that's what they find statistically. Now, our own Dr. Mitch Earlywine uh, is quoted in the piece as well. And he says that the study, quote, suffers from most of the problems that plague a lot of the human research on cannabis and psychosis, end quote, particularly that there's no controls. We don't randomly assign half of the, uh, of the patients, the first-time psychotics, we don't assign half of them to smoke pot and then another half of them to not smoke pot and then compare the two halves. What's happening here is the people that had psychotic breaks then go on to use marijuana and then have another psychotic break, we can't show a causality there. It could be that the people who have psychotic break, when they feel a relapse coming, it leads to a craving for marijuana. 
right? Like the psychotic break was coming anyway, <laughs> but then you wanted to smoke some pot. That's what uh, Dr. Mitch had here. In all likelihood, those who notice a need for cannabis earlier might be the same ones who are more likely to have another psychotic break, whether they had cannabis or not. The tendency to be a relapser may be linked to a tendency to like pot. So there's no, we can't show a causation here. Also, uh, Dr. Mitch points out that the, the risks that we're talking here were, uh, quote, ridiculously small, end quote. Now, uh, the researcher here on this uh, lead researcher, co-researcher, uh, disagrees with Dr. Mitch, of course, says that uh, the extra risk persisted even after they compensated for the numbers of psychotic patients who stopped taking their medications or whether or not they used any other illegal drugs. Hmm. It's very interesting. Now, this is uh, in the you can find this in the Journal of the American Medical Association's Psychiatry journal and as far as the results of this go whether or not uh cannabis leads to a higher risk of relapse i think generally speaking it's a good idea to warn people who have any sort of uh problem with mental illness perhaps to avoid (laughs) uh using cannabis uh but we also have some that will attest to using cannabis as a way to mitigate their psychotic symptoms or or to deal with the the schizophrenia they might suffer there's so much that's intertwined in this particular uh this particular malady that we can't really know for sure what's going on here but uh it does feel a little bit like scaremongering but to be on the safe side if you're having a psychotic break maybe it's time to leave the bong alone for a little bit maybe it's time to get grounded and be in touch with reality before we start altering reality The mind is a precious thing, and we want to make sure that we have as much mental health as possible. And and also, as marijuana advocates, we can't just dismiss the possibility that there may be some harms from this. I drank beer heavily and tried drugs enthusiastically. There's a tendency to want to dismiss any of these studies that supposedly show a harm, but... We should open our minds and, and look deeply and, and honestly at this, th- these things. Whether or not marijuana may have some harms for a few people is no reason to ban its use for all people. Next to THC and CBD, you can now add CBR to your cannabis vernacular. CBR as in CannabisRadio.com. Mindful of sustainable practices and limiting their environmental footprint, Sansal hemp is always grown outdoors, as nature intended. By starting with uniform genetic profiles, Sansal ensures the plant will maintain its optimal performance and yield consistently throughout its life cycle. It is through innovative processes that Sansal is able to achieve pure whole hemp extracts, and meet industry requirements and the level of quality desired by many of their customers. Healthy plants, healthy people. SansalCBD.com. Improve your lifestyle naturally. I'm Radical Russ from the Russ Belleville Show. Good to everybody. Radical Russ here in Aspen, Colorado at the Alaska Northwest Cannabis Classic 
at the 26th annual Boston Freedom Rally at the High Times Cannabis Cup, Northern California. Day one of Canacon in Seattle, Washington. It's the Russ Belville Show, the NPR of POT, weekdays live at 6 Eastern, 3 Pacific, exclusively on CannabisRadio.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today we take a look at a report that's out from Green Wave Advisors. It's entitled, Mid-Year Update, The Metamorphosis of the U.S. Marijuana Market Begins. And it's been reported on. Uh, people have been citing the upcoming election and Green Wave pointing out that if the states pass their legalization, that the marijuana market could be a $5.8 billion industry by the year 2021. But buried also within this report is actually, I shouldn't say buried because it's the, it's the main part of the, uh, the report. The news media have buried this a little bit. Uh, is this metamorphosis they talk about? And let me just read to you from their description paragraph uh, in the executive summary. In this report, we note the beginning of what we characterize as a marijuana market metamorphosis as states with both legalized medical and recreational use evaluate the practicality of a merged regulatory regime. We see this effort presently in Washington, Oregon, and Alaska, and expect that Colorado will soon follow. This trend is consistent with our thesis that initially bifurcated marijuana markets will merge under a shared regulatory system into substantially larger enterprises. Should California vote to legalize recreational use this November, we expect implementation of a combined regulated market as soon as 2018. This, should, this could serve as a catalyst for similar action in Nevada, Arizona, Massachusetts, and Maine. So, in a nutshell, you can't pass legalization without affecting medical marijuana. And it doesn't matter what you write in your initiative. It doesn't matter how you want to try and wish and hope that you can keep two separate systems running. The laws of economics and bureaucracy and many others dictate that you are not going to have two separate regimes for one product. It's just not going to happen. It's not like having an orange juice stand for people who like orange juice and another one for people who have scurvy. It's not going to happen. So these markets are going to merge. There's going to be one regulatory scheme that covers marijuana in your state, both medical and recreational. The question is, to what degree do they recognize the medical needs within that system? 
And that's where we need to start focusing instead of trying in vain, tilting at windmills to try to keep two separate systems, redundant and wasteful. And there's some data backing this up. Uh, Forbes magazine has done a report on this. Uh, Retail marijuana could hurt medical marijuana. This is out just this morning. And uh, they note that um, patient counts in Colorado, Oregon, and Washington, D.C. have all decreased since legalization. Now, Washington State didn't have a count, and Alaska's not really counting very well, so we don't know much about those. But the three we can tell you data from, we know that those three states that have legalized, their patient counts have gone down. And uh, they wrote, quote, though Arizona permits only medical use, new cardholder applications were down sharply, 73% in May, perhaps in anticipation of a favorable election outcome for recreational use, end quote. Another thing that we're seeing is that uh, the people that are registering for chronic pain in these states is down more than, relatively speaking, the other maladies that they can register for, suggesting again that many people that were getting medical marijuana were citing chronic pain when they were just using it to get into the recreational use. And we also noticed the sales for recreational use spike in December, the summer, and 420. But they don't spike in the medical. Those spikes that used to exist in medical have decreased in, in, in uh, comparison. Now, this isn't to say that everybody that's you know faking it to get medical marijuana, it's only some, but given that those people now don't have to, in Oregon, go get a $200 card or go see a doctor and pay a bunch of money there and instead can just be over the age of 21 and go into a store, it's naturally going to lead to a decrease in the patient roles. There's no point in getting that anymore. Another thing um, that is important to note is that the, uh, the forecasts here of, of Greenwave in their report, their prediction is what we'll see is this merged market with what they call medically endorsed dispensaries. This is what the model that's shaking out right now in Washington state where they're all I-502 stores, but you can go the extra mile and get yourself a medical certification. And that allows you to be able to discount the tax for medical purchases and to offer medical advice on cannabis. Not the most elegant solution. I think it's dumb that you can't tell a recreational consumer how the drug he is about to consume might affect him but you can tell a sick person still uh, it's the direction that we're going to be going here. And just not only is it the economic and, and, and the redundancy reasons bureaucracy wise, where you're not going to have a state that's going to have two separate regulatory systems and two separate agencies and so forth, but also from the practicality standpoint for us consumers, if you have two different systems, you're splitting the system up and guaranteeing that it's going to affect one side or the other in a negative way. For example, if there is a rule that says a pot shop and a dispensary have to be a thousand feet from each other and the dispensaries already exist in the best locations, that forces the pot shops to be way the hell outside in the industrial area of town and and it gives it, it, it's inconvenient for the uh, the recreational consumer. 
On the other hand, if all the dispensaries have to be converted to pot shops and only a few of them get medical endorsements and they're way the hell out of town, now it's inconvenient for the medical consumer. So we got a lot of work to do here, but let's not kid ourselves and think that we can solve this problem or solve these problems through segregation. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Keep your cannabis cravings under control. Feed your mind with CannabisRadio.com. The cannabis industry is growing. Business is booming. And as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your Canna business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, where we don't change our mind on decriminalization during an election year. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. You're listening to Cannabis Radio News' exclusive coverage of Vote 2016, The Path to Cannabis Freedom, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody, to our exclusive coverage of Marijuana Election Night 2016. And joining us today to talk about another state looking to legalize adult use and cultivation of cannabis is the great state of Maine. And that's David Boyer joining us from the Regulate Maine campaign. Hi, David. How are you? Oh, let's see. Let's get David online. Make sure we've gotten there. David, can you hear us Okay. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, we got you. I, I have. Oh, my apologies. Not sure what happened. Nope, that's all my fault. But uh, glad to have you here, uh, calling in from uh, Maine, where question one is on the ballot to legalize marijuana. Uh, let's give our listeners uh, a quick overview of what will become legal after November eighth. 
Sure. Currently in Maine, it's illegal to use and possess marijuana if you're an adult 21 or older. If question one is to pass, then all adults 21 and over will be able to possess two and, up to two and a half ounces of marijuana and be able to grow a limited number of plants at home and possess the marijuana that that yields. It will also set, set up a system of regulation and taxation that will allow for commercial cultivators, product manufacturers, laboratories, retailers, and social clubs, which we're excited about uh, since we'll be one of the first states to have social clubs included in its legalization initiative so that adults that uh, choose to use marijuana over alcohol have a place they can do it um, and, and socialize uh, in private. I love that Maine has tackled the issue of adult social clubs explicitly. The other four states on the ballot have some implicit, yeah, we'll get around to it kind of stuff. But this one, there's going to be some pot lounges, and we're pretty excited about that. And in another aspect that you differ from the other states, the current ones and the ones that are proposing 2016, is that possession limit of two and a half ounces. Uh, Why did you uh, increase it to two and a half when everybody else was going for an ounce? Well, um, Maine has uh, a long history of marijuana reform. We decriminalized marijuana in 1976, so 40 years ago. Um, and that was, uh, has been expanded up to two and a half ounces. That's the limit for medical marijuana. So, so we thought it made sense to have a consistent number between um, you know, what's allowed for medical, what's been decriminalized, so that it's easier for consumers and it's easier for law enforcement. And, you know, regarding social clubs, this was a calculus um, of making sure, one, and this could pass, and we're looking at national momentum, and uh, we decided that we should go for it because at the end of the day, this could be the most restrictive legalization, but we could make one gram legal, and that's it, right? Uh, Is the opposition going to say anything different? No, they're (laughs) going to talk about the kids and the driving. So, you know what, we got the facts on our side, and, and we should go for it. Yeah, how how is a guy with two and a half ounces on him any more a problem than a guy with one ounce? I guess is the way you could put it. You know, we've you know uh, the last four years we've been in the state working in Portland and South Portland, making marijuana legal there. And um, a lot of uh, the time, our message has been that marijuana is safer than alcohol. And so there there isn't a, a limit on how much wine you can have in your cellar. So I expect. Uh, you know, once this is legal, once the sky hasn't fallen, just hasn't hasn't fallen in Colorado or the other states, that you know some of the laws will loosen up and maybe the possession limit will be expanded. Uh, because again, you know, you can buy enough Jack Daniels to kill a man, but you you, you can't do that with marijuana. <laughs> yeah, good point. And uh, also within the uh, initiative, I see uh, cultivation rights that are, are pretty expansive. Not only possessing the entire harvest of of what you grow, but being able to grow six mature plants, 12 immature plants, and unlimited seedlings, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that's that's pretty expansive. Yeah, that also mirrors the current medical marijuana laws. And, um, you know, it, it hasn't seemed to affect our support. We're, there was a uh, UNH Press Herald poll that came out last uh, Monday, two days ago, showing us at 53% and the no side at 38% with 10% undecided. So we're feeling pretty good based on that poll and internal polling that, you know, even if every undecided person uh, went against us, we'd still be up, um, you know, with the six point lead. So our uh, TV starts next, next week and and we're excited. Uh, Signs are are out all over the state. Uh, So we're pumped up and 
Uh, cautiously optimistic for victory in November. Yeah, we are so looking forward to November 8th. We'll be bringing live coverage of Marijuana Election Night 2016 right here live on CannabisRadio.com. Tune in starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. We're going to go all the way through midnight Eastern because we got to get all those West Coast polls taken care of as well. Now, uh, David, if there's listeners out there that want to get more information on the initiative and maybe want to volunteer and help the campaign, can you give them some contact info? You can call me at 207-274-4633. That's my cell phone number. If you're in Maine, uh, please get in touch. We can put you to work. If you're not in Maine, please go to www.regulatemaine.org and sign up and get on our email list there. And you can also uh, donate. It's really important that we have enough money to get our message out all the way through November 8th. Uh, We can pay for... uh, Digital advertising, radio advertising, uh, paid phone calls to voters to get out the vote. Um, so, so we need people to step up. Um, even if you're not a Mainer, this is going to help the laws in your state one way or the other, um, because this is a domino effect. This is this is how we do it at the federal level is asserting their rights. Absolutely. And uh, with Maine on the ballot and Massachusetts as well, uh, we could be starting a foothold there in the uh, Northeast. Uh, you'll have New Hampshire surrounded, I think. That's right. They're, they're uh, maybe a decade behind everyone else in New England. Um, not, not to say that it hasn't been tried. Matt Simon in New Hampshire has just been there forever going at it, and it's, it's the governor that won't sign it there. Uh, decriminalization. Their medical marijuana program is uh, taking a little bit to get up and running. And, and look, it's, it's hurting their state. Um, they've been hit with the opiate crisis uh, worse than Maine. There's more people dying in New Hampshire from opiates. And that just you know highlights the study that shows 25% less overdose deaths in states that have medical marijuana laws. So um, hopefully they'll get that together once you know, New, uh, Vermont and Maine and Massachusetts um, starts regulating marijuana, they'll see the benefits of it. Speaking of governors, you've got a, a real interesting one there, Governor LePage in Maine. Uh, I suppose he's probably opposed to this. Uh, what is the nature of your opposition out there politically uh, and, and financially? Have they got any resources? Uh, well, it's your classic case of the Baptists and the bootleggers, those that uh, think marijuana is far, far too harmful for adults to possess and those that don't want to give up the monopoly on, on selling marijuana. Um, so you have the law enforcement, you have some folks in the sub- substance abuse treatment um, community, and that's that's really one of the biggest disappointments. We, we expect the other opposition, but those that are working on addiction, working on substance abuse uh, treatment, um, this is such such an obviously way to reduce harm. This is a clear example of, of a harm reduction policy to what we have now, uh, giving uh, Mainers a safer alternative to prescription pills to alcohol um, to be to, to keep the current model it just it boggles my mind if, if you're coming from that background yeah yeah so uh, is there is there are they financed are they organized or is it just kind of ad hoc every now and then an op-ed in the paper um, I don't want to jinx it but it seems like they don't have very much money I think they just hired maybe one organizer we don't see any signs out quite yet, but there's still six weeks to go. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're on TV. Um, anytime the news, you know, covers us, they have to cover the other side. Or, uh, so they will have some of a, uh, of a bully pulpit and, and a podium, if you will, to get their, um, 
their message out that, that you know, this is going to increase DUIs and this is going to increase children's access. But um, thankfully, uh, we've done a good job at educating the press here. And now that they're, they're mentioning in the stories that Colorado hasn't seen teen use go up, as if it's fact, they don't even have to quote me saying it anymore, which is great. It's background. Um, and it, it's just, you know, it's, it's obvious that it hasn't affected Colorado. Uh, it hasn't affected Maine. Maine has the most, you know, forward-thinking marijuana laws in New England for the longest time. Yet, look, we have the lowest rates of use among teens. Um, so it's just such a falsehood to think that if we regulate marijuana for adults, it's going to increase access for those that are under 21. David Boyer with Regulate Maine. You can check him out at regulatemaine.org. That's right. Yeah, regulatemain.org. Are there any uh, upcoming events, fundraisers, or campaign watch parties, uh, election night watch parties to promote if people want to plan ahead? Um, not currently. We're, we're, we're working. Uh, if anybody wants to volunteer, we're going to be around the Cumberland Fair and the Freiburg Fair, which are huge fairs that a lot of people come to in Maine and even some out of Maine. But you know, we'll be talking to the Mainers. Uh, we were just at Common Ground Fair in Unity, Maine, which is uh, the Organic Farming Association put that together, and I think 60,000 people were there and got out a bunch of lawn signs and stickers. If anybody wants to request a sticker, lawn sign, please go to the website and and shoot us an email, um, and uh, you'll be hearing from us. All right, main question one. Currently polling at about fifty-three percent, but let's not uh, let's not rest on our laurels. People, get involved, get active, tell people you know about it, and if you can volunteer and help out the folks at regulatemain.org, please do so. David Boyer, thanks for joining us here on the show, and good luck to you on election night. Thanks, Russ. Uh, thank you. All right. Stay tuned, folks. We got another interview coming up and uh, want to remind you our marijuana election night coverage 2016 on CannabisRadio.com live election night starting at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, running till 9 p.m. Pacific, midnight Eastern with live coverage from the campaign watch parties in all nine states. Plus, we'll have activist leaders from the major uh national drug reform groups joining us and other experts and candidates for office themselves who are longtime marijuana reformers stay tuned we'll be right back after this this is the russ belleville show on cannabisradio.com From dabs to chibas, sativas to indicas, we roll out a whole concentrate of fresh new content every week. It's like going from the greenhouse to the dispensary. CannabisRadio.com Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the board, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put different celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is him, think that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crap. 
optional. Money don't make itself. Hey, Pink. The Tommy Chong Show on Cannabis Radio. You got me running. You got me hiding. Run, hide, and hide, run any way you won't let it roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got me doing what you want me, baby. Girl, what you want me to do? Shut up and do a podcast as I want you to do. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on CannabisRadio.com. Marijuana is not addictive, but listening to the Russ Belleville Show is. Marijuana legalization is a worldwide phenomenon. Get yourself positioned for the global cannabis marketplace by attending the International Cannabis Business Conference in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. You'll learn from established cannabis professionals, elected officials, and internationally recognized marijuana law reform activists. You'll also enjoy the ICBC's famous VIP party featuring ICBC special guest speaker and Canadian native Tommy Chong. The ICBC is happening in Vancouver on Thursday and Friday, October 13th and 14th at the Hyatt Regency. Log on to internationalcbc.com today to reserve your tickets. That's internationalcbc.com and bookmark our page for the next ICBCs taking place in Berlin, Germany and San Francisco, California. Don't miss the International Cannabis Business Conference, internationalcbc.com. Mark Twain once said that when there's a gold rush, it's a good time to be in the pick and shovel business. Today, we look at the rapidly evolving markets in the marijuana green rush in our Cannabis Chronicles. Welcome back, everybody, to Cannabis Chronicles segment. And joining us today, we've got David Deinenberg, the CEO of Kind Financial. David, welcome to the show. Hey, Russ. How are you? Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being here. And I hope I got your last name pronounced correctly. Is it Deinenberg? It's close enough. It's Dinenberg, but you Dinenberg. can call me whatever you want. That's fine. No, no. I, as a guy named Belleville who always gets called Bellevue, it's a it's a sticking point for me. So Dinenberg, much better. All right. Dinenberg. Th- thanks Very for good. joining us. And, and tell our listeners a little bit about Kind Financial. Sure. Kind Financial is a uh, full-service cannabis compliance technology company. We provide uh, seed-to-sale software for both the industry as well as for governments. We provide... Uh, cash management solutions, and we're partners in a company called Link to Banking, which provides banking consulting and technology that enables banks to work with the, with the cannabis industry. And this has been a, a big problem for the developing industry, both in recreational and legalized states, is that, of course, the federal government still says it's an illegal drug, and banks can't deal with illegal drug business, and cannabis is illegal drug, and how is this? Uh, how are you guys managing to solve this problem? Sure. Well, you know, I think that if we all read the headlines and if we all, you know, read the articles that are written in this industry, that a lot of us wouldn't be doing anything every day. Um, I think, the, you know, a really important part is there's a lot of misinformation out there, Russ. And, and here's the reality. The reality of it is 
that the federal government, through the top cop being the attorney general, as well as um, FinCEN, which is a division of Treasury which deals with financial crimes, have both set forth memos in 2013 and 2014, known as the Cole Memo and the FinCEN Memo, that you know gives law enforcement a uh, you know the the directive of of, of leave, leaving state-sponsored um, state programs alone as long as everyone's you know following state law. And then as far as uh, money goes, you know, FinCEN has, you know, sent out these memos as far as ways and outlines targets that, that, you know, very clearly state how financial institutions can work with the cannabis industry. The one thing that hasn't taken place, as we all are well aware, is that there's no law, the laws haven't changed. Mm. And really, those memos both obviously reserve the right for the federal prosecutors to do ultimately what they need to do. So... You know, banks are in the business of mitigating risk. That's what a banker does every day of their lives. And I think one of the misnomers in this space, especially in the banking space, is that, you know, it's it's very difficult, if not impossible, to uh, adhere to the FinCEN guidelines. And, and I'm here to tell you that, that that's not true, that there are or we have a, a compliance piece of software that automates and streamlines the process for banks. So, you know, if, if you do things the right way and if we all educate ourselves on what we can and can't do, I think that a lot of banks will learn that you can bank cannabis. Um, is there a higher level of diligence? Is there a higher level of reporting? The short answer is yes, but the longer answer is it can be done. It can be done today, and we have the tools that are doing it. Fantastic. It's, it's almost as if uh, the feds are, are, are making, through these memos, it's, it's like making a yeah. promise. We promise we won't bust you, and the banks are saying, uh-huh, <laughs> sure, write it down. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, listen, until, until laws changed, you know, you're, you're going to have all these banks, you know, or a lot of the banks sitting on the sidelines. I also think that the misnomer in the industry is the day that banking law changes is the day that you can go to Wells Fargo or Chase or wherever you bank and open an account. That's oh, don't worry. Well, Wells true. Fargo will open the account is... for you, so that's okay. Wells Fargo will do it for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> touche on that one. Uh, but the reality of it is, even if law changes tomorrow at the federal level, even if the law just changes for the banking laws just change, the reality of it is there's going to be years of processes and procedures and guidance that are, that are going to take place that are going to outline the way that the banks can work with the industry. So there is no short-term fast fix for banking um, as far as what everyone wants to have. You know, there's no magic wand, right? But there are services out there, including the service that we offered, that do allow these banks to do it and oh. to do it safely and securely. That is great news for a lot of our listeners that are uh, wanting to get involved with their own cannabis-based business. Uh, we're speaking with David Denenberg from Kind Financial. Uh, give them a link or some more information for contact uh, so they can follow up on that. Sure, absolutely. Uh, kind.financial is our website, and linktobanking.com is our link to banking website. Fantastic. Now, other issues you know, uh, involved in regulatory compliance. You mentioned uh, seed to sale, and we just uh, covered the Green Wave Advisors report that talked about how medical and recreational markets may merge or will likely merge in the future. How are you set up to sure. help customers with seed to sale and the the rapidly changing regulatory scheme if indeed these two sides merge? Sure. Well, let's start at the top. So we have a product which we call AgriSoft, which is a seed-to-sale technology that was built 100% for this industry. 
Um, what's unique about Kind is our approach to how we do our, our solutions, right? We do not bring any band-aids to the, to, to the industry. We only bring true legitimate products and services to this industry. So anything that you ever see under you know, my banner that we're, that we're offering, it's a true solution. There's no end-arounds. Uh, that's not who we are. We, we took the approach when we developed our, our seed-to-sale software. We really took the approach from law enforcement and from, regula- and from regulatory bodies. So we have people on our team that have that uh, state and federal experience that have guided our hands in developing the most robust compliance software that there is. And, you know, I'm being very serious when I say that. And a lot of people you know, might not love that, right? If, you're, if you are in the industry and you're concerned about this or concerned about that, the reality of it is our system is custom made for this industry. We can make uh, customizations for our clients on the fly. Our customer service is second to none. And quite frankly, um, as we all read in June, you know, Microsoft chose us to partner with in delivering our services. So um, we have a very robust platform and we're really excited for, uh, you know, to offer to the industry. Yeah, and that story on the uh, the Microsoft choosing Kind Financial was a very uh, compelling story. Uh, in in that we saw this big tech giant uh, dipping its toes into the water here, into the uh, this uh, quasi legal side of the world. That well, increasingly legal side of the world. What's that been like trying to work with Microsoft, and what sort of concerns did they have getting involved? Yeah, well. Um, with all due respect, I can't go through the details of it. You know, um, a lot of the things that, oh, sure. uh, that are between, between Microsoft and I uh, need to stay between Microsoft and I. But I'll tell you this. Um, they, Microsoft is uh, already fundamental. You know, they're already in the government business. They're already in the government sector. Um, the government they consider to be a quote-unquote client. Um, and at the end of the day, they wanted the ability to be able to offer their clients everything that they need to be able to be offered. So, um I'm just the beneficiary of having a great product that felt that filled a void in, in, in the Microsoft system. Um, and they've been wonderful to work with. Um, you know, they're, they're very bullish on what we're doing. Um, you know, they look at it where, if, you know, the states are legalizing this and therefore their cust- it's legal for their customer and they want to be able to support their customers. Folks, you can find and out I think, more. You know, oh. Yeah, I'm sorry, Russ, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say they can find out more about this regulatory uh, compliance software, the uh, financial angle, banking. Go to kind.financial to learn more. And sorry about interrupting, you were saying? No, I was going to say, and I think it was, a, you know, for, for a company in this industry, it was a credibly legitimizing and proud moment for us as a company. Um, but it was also a great day for the industry where I think the legitimacy of what everyone here is trying to accomplish, uh, you know, I think everyone took a, you know, a lot of pride in that announcement, and they should. Oh, absolutely. And, and David, we appreciate what you're doing and, and the company you're building there to uh, to help our industry maintain this compliance we're we're stepping out here we want to put our best foot forward and not give our opponents an excuse to say see we legalized and look at look at the terrible things that happened so again we appreciate that yeah. uh, on a personal level uh, what's your background sure. getting into this space was was cannabis always a part <laughs> of your life or is this like oh my god this is all new to me <laughs> a little bit of both i'm originally i live in los angeles now i'm originally from philadelphia pennsylvania i moved out here uh, my family and I, uh, you know, our kids were young at that point, and, and my wife and I took the leap of faith, and um, we, we, we moved uh, to Los Angeles in, in the summer of 14, and we did it to, I'm sorry, the summer of 13, and we did it to start this company and to start this business. Um, you know, to be honest with you, I'm an, I'm an old real estate developer. 
Um, I, I have a sophisticated background um, from raising money to building buildings to borrowing money, all those different sophistications that you need to do to, to do big business. But, you know, I was looking for something different. We had a hard time during the real estate crash. We lost a lot. We were starting over. And really, we were watching a television program one night, and, you know, if you would have coughed, you would have missed the 10 seconds where they said, you know, all cash, no, no financial structure, no backbone. And this, this whole thing really started as a research project for my wife and I, and it's grown into what it's grown into today. And at the end, at the end of the day, the one thing, that Russ, that I have realized over the last two and a half, three years, Every heavily regulated industry in the country, quite frankly, the world, look at it. Look at pharmaceutical, look at alcohol, look at tobacco, look at, look at, look at guns. You know, at, at the core of, of those businesses or industries, it's compliance. And you know, I, I, I just hope it's something that this industry, as it, as it grows and becomes more sophisticated, as well as you know, we go from 23 to 25, and hopefully after November we go to 26 states, you know, you're, we're going to have to be able to be compliant. That's the only way this industry is going to take become serious and legitimate and, quite frankly, widespread, if not federally legal at some point. So, you know, I, I would like to believe that we're helping and moving this industry in a forward, forward fashion way. Excellent. Thank you, uh, David Denenberg, CEO of Kind Financial. You can find out more on the net at kind.financial. Thanks for joining us and good luck to you. Thank you very much. And, folks, that's all the time we got for our show today, but stay tuned. Hour 2 is coming up next. That's our Toker Talk Radio Hour, where you can be the voice of the marijuana nation. Our phone line is 650-LEGAL-MJ, 650-534-2565. We're going to talk a lot about guns and weed. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. And until next time, take care of each other, Tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Where you can toke. I inhale. Uh, frequently. Or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can toke and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Potland, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy poop dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. 
Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of Gonta Graphics, the sultan of Sativa Statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical, Russ Belleville. All right, all right, all right. Welcome. It's hour two, Toker Talk Radio, where we let down what's left of my hair, loosen the tie that I do not wear, and take your calls at 650-LEGAL-MJ. That's what we're fighting for, isn't it? 650-534-2565. That's LEGAL-MJ. And uh, my thanks to David Denenberg from uh, Kind Financial for our last segment. Uh, nice to talk to him. And uh, the question at the end there is something I'm going to be posing from now on uh, in some form or another to the people that I speak to in the cannabis world. Because I've oftentimes said that what we're seeing here in this green rush is, is kind of an interesting dynamic of what I like to call suits versus heads. <laughs> and, and maybe... Maybe versus isn't the right term because I don't know that they necessarily have to be in conflict. But the idea of this is that in this green rush, you have these heads, potheads, stoners, tokers, whatever we are, heads, right? To use the old 60s parlance. But you have these heads that are, are, have been a long time in, in marijuana. Maybe we were growing it. Maybe we were selling it. Maybe, maybe we just like to smoke it. But for decades, we've built this culture and this underground economy and these relationships and mores and ideals and, and protocols that all surround the trade in cannabis, right? So to us, it's more than just a, a commodity. It's, it's a culture. It's a way of life. It's a symbol. It's political. It's religious. It's medical. It's a lot of things. And then you, got, then you got the suits. The suits are people that like to do business and make money. And it really doesn't matter what that's in. We can uh, process sugar beets. We can build condominiums. We could uh, uh, mine for gold. Uh, we could sell uh, cigarettes. It doesn't matter. Is, 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 is it a thing that makes money? That's what we're interested in. Now, the, the heads that we get in this green rush, they know the cannabis side of it. They know the marijuana culture. They know all of that stuff. But oftentimes, they're a bit naive in the, in the business side of the world. The suits got the business side of the world down pat. They're the masters of it. Not so cognizant of all of the marijuana culture and background and understanding. Again, to them... Doesn't matter if it's marijuana, kumquats, almonds. <laughs> it's just a commodity to be bought and sold. So in that last interview, and I'll leave it to you to decide, but <laughs> suit or head. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I have my, my thoughts, but, and, and really, it'd be, it would take a little longer discussion. And, and, and also, to be fair, let, and we should be fair, uh, someone who's a CEO of a company that works with Microsoft, you, you might not be able to be so uh, candid about your background. I completely understand that and respect it. Totally understand it and respect it. But I think it's important that the suits out there that are jumping into this green rush as of, you know, 
2013, after legalization finally happened, need to recognize the 40-year contributions of the heads that changed public opinion, educated people, and got the laws changed so that it could be a commodity like kumquats or almonds or bamboo or anything else that's bought and sold. And recognize that within this, for many of the consumers, it's more than just a commodity. It's religious, it's sacred, it's medical, it's uh, symbolic, it's political. And so if you apply to it the same sort of thinking and marketing that you apply to just any old product, it could backfire for you, your business, your brand, your image, and your bottom line. Keep that in mind. When we come back, we're going to talk about guns and weed. Can we have both? This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Legal to listen to all over the world. We're just not sure about France. CannabisRadio.com. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. My guests say Razzie Berry. We're talking about nature, naturopathic medicine, as well as the concept of prevention and preventing disease. Empower people to live a naturopathic lifestyle. Get to know your body, understand its rhythms, remove toxins, and use natural alternatives whenever possible. 90 to 95% of cancers are due to environment and lifestyle risk factors. That's a huge number. That means that cancer is preventable. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. Day. Just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. All right. Welcome back, everybody. And uh, for our discussion topic today, our phone lines are open at 650-LEGAL-MJ, 650-534-2565 is our legal MJ number. And uh, today we're going to talk about guns and weed. 
And I know as soon as I said that earlier in the show, about half my listeners went, ah, shit, here goes lefty gun grabber Radical Russ again. (laughs) Uh, I assure you, that is not the direction I'm taking this today. For today's discussion is not about guns. Today's discussion is about guns and weed. And for the purposes of the discussion, we're going to accept the Supreme Court's decision in Heller that uh, we have an individual private right of gun ownership. We're going to not question whether that's right or wrong or should be changed. We're going to accept the law as it is. And as the law is, we have a right to keep and bear arms. The question is, does that right not apply to pot smokers? Now, there's a lot of law around this, and I've been doing a lot of research on it. And I, of course, start with my disclaimer that I'm a talk radio host and a marijuana activist. I am not a paralegal or anyone with a law degree. So uh, my opinions mean nothing. (laughs) I have no relevant uh, uh, education on this. However, I can read. (laughs) I can read and understand uh, legal terms. And uh, have been reading lots of them for 10 years now, uh, doing a lot of research on various state laws and initiatives and so forth. So I, I think I'm a pretty well-informed person and fairly intelligent. So if I can't understand this, I'm willing to accept that I might be wrong on this. But if I can't understand it, I know there's a lot of other people that don't understand it. And maybe somebody can explain it to me. All right. So let me get to the, 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 the deets here. Of course, this is concerning the Keith Lamont Scott killing in Charlotte, North Carolina, where uh, the police gunned him down. And this discussion isn't about should they have given, you know, did he have a gun? Was he pointing it at him? I'm not even getting into that controversy here. What this controversy has to do with was the entire reason the cops, he got the cops attention in the first place. This is uh, Chief Putney from Charlotte. And his statement on how the stop, how the encounter with Keith Lamont Scott began. Two plainclothes officers were sitting inside of their unmarked police vehicle preparing to serve an arrest warrant in the parking lot of the village at College Downs when a white SUV pulled in and parked beside them. All right. So to the person driving the SUV, he's pulling in alongside a car that's got people in it. Not a cop car and not cops in it, just a couple of people. All right, continue. The officers observed the driver, later identified as Mr. Keith Lamont Scott, rolling what they believed to be a marijuana blunt. Officers did not consider Mr. Scott's drug activity to be a priority at the time, and they resumed the warrant operation. All right, so he pulls up in the parking lot, parks by a car. Two guys in the car see the guy rolling a joint. And decide it's not worthy of their attention. Nothing, no big deal. Because they are serving a warrant, an arrest warrant. By the way, I find out later the arrest warrant is for a guy who's on, uh, skipped uh, a probation or a parole or something like that. He's, anyway, fugitive. Continuing from Chief Putney. A short time later, Officer Vinson observed Mr. Scott hold a gun up. Because of that, The officers had probable cause to arrest him for the drug violation and to further investigate Mr. Scott being in possession of a gun. Due to the combination of illegal drugs and the gun Mr. Scott had in his possession, 
Officers decided to take enforcement action for public safety concerns. Officers departed the immediate area to outfit themselves with marked duty vests and equipment that would clearly identify them as police officers. All right, so let's let's break this down. Because of that, right? First, they see him with weed. That is the crime in North Carolina. They see him with weed, but they decide that crime's no big deal because they got so many more dangerous, something more pressing to do. In other words, weighing the public safety, their decision was the guy we've got a warrant for is a bigger danger than the guy smoking weed in his car. But then they see him hold up a gun, not brandish a gun, not pointed at anyone, not fired anyone, not even leaving his car as far as we can tell. But they just see that he has one, that he has a gun now because of that. They had the probable cause to arrest him for the drug violation. No, no, no. You had the probable cause when you saw the drug violation. How did seeing the gun then make the drug violation something you needed to go after? And this is important because the drug violation, North Carolina General Law Section 90 through 94, defines marijuana as a state-scheduled six controlled substance. The blunt, I've got the picture of it from evidence. Uh, it's not a blunt. It's, it's a joint. I guess blunt is what you call it when it's being smoked by a thug. Uh, pinner little joint here. Um, but anyway, it's well below a half ounce, right? So Less than a half ounce possession in North Carolina is a class three misdemeanor. That's the lowest possible level crime under North Carolina law. Class three misdemeanor. It is a greater crime under North Carolina law to say fuck on the telephone. Seriously, it's a class two, class two misdemeanor to utter obscene language over the telephone in North Carolina. I looked it up. Class two misdemeanor for that. Fuck on the telephone, class two. Smoking a joint in your car, class three. And the maximum possible punishment for smoking a joint in your car is a $200 fine with no jail time served. They can sentence you to jail, but by law, it must be suspended. So the cops saw the guy committing a lowest level possible crime that's only punishable by a $200 fine and decided the guy they were going after with the warrant was more dangerous. But then they saw the guy committing the class three misdemeanor with a gun in his hand. And that's what gave him the probable cause. Now, the problem with that is that North Carolina is one of 31 states in this country, whether you like it or not, whether you think it's wise or not, that have so-called open carry laws. And what that means is that any adult not subject to the prohibitions on gun, gun ownership, right? And that, you know, felons can't have a gun. Domestic abusers can't have a gun. You know, crazy people can't have a gun, right? Uh, terrorist watch list, you can have a gun. Uh, sorry, I wasn't going to go there. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm backing off. Uh, so anyway, anyone who's not prohibited from having a gun is lawfully allowed to carry a fire, firearm so long as it's not concealed. That's a whole different thing. Concealed carry is a whole different thing. You got to get a permit. You got to get, you know, fill out forms, uh, background checks, sheriffs, all that shit. Open carry is legal. Any adult, 21 and older, open carry, perfectly legal. So. How is it that an adult openly displaying the gun he's legally allowed to carry 
create the probable cause needed to arrest Scott for the marijuana. The probable cause existed the moment they saw the marijuana and they decided it wasn't worthy of their attention. How did the sight of the legal gun make the illegal weed suddenly more dangerous than the guy they were going after on the warrant? Now, I'll tell you what happened. The probable cause that was created was the green light to infringe on a black man's Second Amendment rights because the sight of marijuana voids his Fifth Amendment rights. I'm not the only one thinking this. Professor Joseph Kennedy was interviewed on NPR recently. He's a, at the North Carolina School of Law. And he points, puts it out this way. NPR asks, is there anything in the law that says that you cannot both have marijuana and a gun at the same time? Kennedy, not specifically. So here's the question is, do the police have a reasonable suspicion that you're not just armed, but dangerous? So think of that in terms of three scenarios. Scenario one, the police see me littering and I have a gun on my hip. Scenario two, the police see me breaking into a car with a crowbar and I have a gun on my hip. Arguably, the police are justified in pointing their guns at me in scenario two. They see me committing what is a felony in North Carolina. And the reasonable fear would be that since I have a gun, maybe I'll use it to resist arrest for the felony. Scenario one, it doesn't seem reasonable to sort of draw their guns on me because littering is an infraction. The question is, where does smoking marijuana fit on that spectrum? Is it reasonable to assume that someone who's smoking marijuana and has a gun is also dangerous and is likely to resist police contact with deadly force? End quote. So that's the professor, law professor at North Carolina asking this question, not just me. And it's something that we need to be thinking about because while smoking a joint's the class three misdemeanor, a crime in North Carolina, in other open carry states like Nebraska, a joint is just an infraction, just like Kennedy's littering scenario there. And other states like Montana are medical marijuana states where that joint is a crime, but a patient can't be arrested for it. And then, of course, my home state of Oregon has legalized adult possession of a joint, but public toking of it is a ticket, a mere infraction, like the littering scenario. I really want to know here, if I decide that I want to be packing an open carry gun and smoking a joint, are cops going to kill me over it? But isn't marijuana or dope illegal? Only for those who enjoy it. All right, folks, that sound means that it's 420 here in the Pacific Time Zone. Time for us to take our union-mandated safety meeting. Ironic, given the topic. I'm going to take a deeper look at North Carolina gun laws. I challenge you, find me the one that says possession of marijuana and a gun is a separate crime. Being green is good. Growing green is good. Making green is great. CannabisRadio.com While the feds and state are doing their dance, you still need to transact business and manage your cash. Go professional and let your customers pay with PayQuick. They pay you and they earn rewards points. 
PayQuick connects to your bank account for free and secures all of your transactions. And with PayQuick, you can pay your producers and processors for free. Plus, it pays to have it because it makes depositing your cash safe and so easy. No cops, no crooks, just compliance and comfort, knowing you have your cannabis business in check with PayQuick. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Our daughter, Rebecca, could have a seizure at any given time that could take her life. When you have 200 seizures a day, she gets so scared. I've learned a lot about the benefits of medical marijuana in the treatment of intractable epilepsy in children. We feel her saying to us, Mom, Dad, Help me. when is this going to stop? Why don't you, my parents who love me, do something? And we can't. Please help us help our daughter. Our daughter, Rebecca, needs all options for medical marijuana, so please vote yes on Amendment 2. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. The Supreme Court is wrong on the Second Amendment. Okay, maybe you're high too. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Uh, welcome back, everybody. 23 after the hour, and I may be a little more safe than I need to be. <laughs> no, I finished up an email. Uh, thanks to David Dinenberg from uh, Kind Financial. Great talking to him. Got an email back from him that I just needed to forward back to my producers. We're talking about the case of Keith Lamont Scott, the man gunned down by Charlotte, North Carolina police because he was smoking a joint and then they saw that he had a gun. So naturally, you see someone smoking a joint and holding a gun, uh, you, you got to interact with them and deal with them. And the interaction went badly and uh, Scott was killed, shot and killed. And uh, we're not, again, we're not going to discuss the the incident itself, because I get a lot of the, the, I've been going over this on Twitter and Facebook for the past couple of days, and I get the responses back about, if he would have complied, he'd be alive. If he just would have followed orders, he'd be alive. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, sometimes people are deaf or mentally ill or psychotic or intoxicated and don't follow orders so well. They just should be slaughtered. But anyway, uh, like I said, don't want to go too deep into that side. Uh, we're talking specifically about the issue of in an open carry state where you're legally allowed to openly carry a firearm. Does the combination of that and marijuana then make you a danger? And is that illegal per se? Absent just the marijuana itself being illegal. I'm not denying that, yeah, having a joint on you is illegal. But is there a separate statute that says if you've got a joint and a gun or if you have a gun and you're fucked up, 
high, whatever, you're committing a crime. That was the question I, I set to myself as I began this research. And again, I'm not a, I'm not a paralegal. I may be missing something incredibly obvious. And as soon as it's pointed out to me, I will retract and take back and, and apologize as much as I need to. But I'm really perplexed because I can't seem to find it. So Professor E. Gregory Wallace was asked about this. He's another North Carolina law school uh, professor. This is at the Campbell University School of Law. And he talked to ABC News and he said this. Wallace noted that if the police saw the marijuana cigarette in combination with the gun, it might be enough to justify forcibly disarming Scott because of the implication of illegal activity. But police would have needed to see both at the same time. Quote, the mere display of a firearm in the city of Charlotte doesn't give police cause to detain or disarm a citizen. End quote. Wallace said. Wallace said that if it could be determined that Scott had his weapon in his holster at the time of the shooting, it would be a, quote, game changer, end quote, noting that it would not have put the police in enough danger to warrant shooting him. All right, so this is extra little bit to it, right? If he'd had the gun in the holster, that's not enough. The guy had the gun inside his car. Uh how was that? Anyway, the, the danger part is just confounding to me. So, again, is there anything illegal beyond him smoking the joint in the act of having the gun? And I've gotten some responses that from people on Twitter, or Facebook that are responding to me, arguing about this, that claim possessing a gun is unlawful if you possess drugs. And, and I'm willing to believe that, but... I just can't find the statute in North Carolina where that is declared. As I was looking around, I found this website, criminaldefenselawyer.com. And it says, North Carolina prohibits open or concealed carry to, quote, unlawful users or people addicted to drugs or alcohol, end quote. And then they provide a, a citation to North Carolina General Statutes, uh, Section 14-415.12. Oh, open and shut case, right? Criminal defense lawyer says open and concealed carry is illegal for people on drugs. It's right there, 14-415.12. But you know me, folks, I look shit up, and I looked it up. And section 14-415.12, paragraph B, section 5, prohibits issuance of a concealed carry permit to an unlawful user of or addicted to marijuana. So the pot smoker can't apply for or receive or be given a concealed carry permit. That doesn't tell me that he's prohibited from the open carry rights that all adults have. So I, I looked through the North Carolina statutes that chapter 14 uh, has most of the, it has the criminal laws. And I found the law against carrying a concealed weapon without a permit. I found the law for prohibiting carrying a concealed weapon while you're high permit or not. So if you're a concealed permit holder, but you're high, that you've got that joint on you and you're, and you're carrying the gun, that's specifically illegal. But it doesn't say you can't open carry. It, it specifically says the concealed part in it. I found the law 
against carrying guns openly or concealed on a university campus or a school, prohibiting carrying guns openly in places where alcohol is served or consumed. Um, I don't think there was any alcohol being served or consumed in, uh, in the car. And it specifically says alcohol, doesn't say drugs or intoxicants. I found the law against uh, that prohibits guns being openly or concealed carry in government buildings. I found that there's a prohibition against guns being carried by minors, guns carried by domestic abusers, carrying guns openly at parades and other public events, uh, guns being carried by stalkers, carrying guns during riots or domestic disturbances, carrying guns if you're, if you're a felon, carrying guns if you're currently imprisoned, and carrying guns if you've been declared mentally unstable or are currently committed. So I found a lot of prohibitions on the carrying of guns, some of them being concealed carry stuff only, but others being also mentioning open carry. And there's also laws against the use of a firearm that, you know, they punish, they punish you more if you have a firearm in the commission of a, of a felony, but smoking joints, not a felony. And the legislature took the time to put the words openly or concealed on some of the prohibitions in that section. And the section is the section dealing with carrying concealed weapons. So it seems to me that the section is dealing with concealed weapons, except for the parts where it specifically says open or concealed. So it seems logical to me that if they wanted a prohibition on someone's right to open carry, they would have written it down. Because it seems otherwise open carry is permitted except where it's forbidden. Now, there, that's North Carolina law. That's North Carolina. Now there's a federal law. U.S. Code, 18 U.S. Code, Title 18 U.S. Code, Section 922, Paragraph D, Section 3, or Line 3, or whatever, Subparagraph 3. There is a following prohibition on selling and giving guns to tokers. It reads... It shall be unlawful for any person to sell or otherwise dispose of any firearm or ammunition to any person knowing or having reasonable cause to believe that such person is an unlawful user of or addicted to any controlled substance. Selling or otherwise disposing, I don't see possessing in there. Now, in paragraph G, line three, we get a prohibition on a toker shipping, receiving, or possessing a gun that had been transported between the states. It reads, it shall be unlawful for any person who is an unlawful user of or addicted to any controlled substance to ship or transport in interstate or foreign commerce or possess in or affecting commerce any firearm or ammunition or to receive any firearm or ammunition which has been shipped or transported in interstate or foreign commerce. The guy's smoking a joint in his car that shows a gun doesn't show us that it was shipped through interstate. 
e-commerce or that it was bought or that it was sold. I just can't find any particular statute that says the mere possession of a gun by a toker is a crime in and of itself. Now, North Carolina's attorney general, Roy Cooper, has published a multi-page document on North Carolina's gun laws that I read, and oh, it's a real page-turner. Roy Cooper says it's a federal crime to possess a gun if you're a toker, but I don't find that in U.S. code. Again, shipping, transporting, receiving in interstate commerce or trying to buy or sell or otherwise dispose of, but the mere keeping and bearing of those arms, I don't see a prohibition on that if you're a pot smoker. And also, it's really not within the jurisdiction of the Charlotte Police Department to be enforcing federal laws anyway. The rest of Cooper's dissertation on these North Carolina gun laws explain in detail the rules on concealed carry, but not open carry. I did get a response from one of the commenters on my feed who tells me that Cooper said all concealed carry restrictions are applicable to open carry as well. He called it a reciprocal. They're reciprocal. But he didn't give me a link to any statute to back that up. And I looked around. I couldn't find a statute that says you apply 14-269's concealed carry requirements to the rights of citizens to open carry. Now, you might deduct, you might deduce, excuse me, (laughs) you might deduce that as a toker, he had to get that gun from an illegal sale or transfer. But again, that's not observed by the cops who just saw him smoking a joint in the car. He might have never toked in his life, made a legal gun purchase, and then took up pot smoking afterwards. So I'm, I'm again, I'm really asking uh, from a position of, of ignorance and curiosity. But it seems to me that uh, there's nothing in North Carolina law or federal law, for that matter, that says that citizens committing a class three marijuana misdemeanor are committing a second crime by openly carrying a firearm. So the questions remain. Do cannabis consumers have the Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms, even though they can't buy arms or transport them interstate? And if that cannabis is legal under state law, is the sight of legal cannabis and a gun on an adult a danger that requires law enforcement intrusion? When we come back, we'll take a look at some of the other media outlets that are commenting on this case. My uh, a big fan of Chris Ringerham at the Washington Post, he's got a post up on it. And we'll take your calls at 650-LEGAL-MJ, 650-534-2565. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com. Cash? Sorry. 
I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase, and it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Hello and welcome all you high-flying, die-trying, roll a Philly blunt for your friend, hempsters, every roach-smoking, bong-token, however you get your THC can enthusiasts, all you rebels, individualistic originals, and outside-the-box ganja warriors, you chunky monkey, Cherry Garcia, munchy-loving hempsters, all you captive earth surfers, astral travelers, and ganja-loving canosaurs, all you high-flying, wide-smiling, ganja-rific cannabophiles, welcome to everyone except Donald Trump supporters, because that's how I really feel. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We need to build a wall. Okay, maybe you're high, too. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. <laughs> this is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody, from beautiful legal potland, Oregon, where we're uh, counting down just 40 days away. 40? Yeah, 40, 41, something like that, from Marijuana Election Night 2016. The most momentous occasion in marijuana reform history. And we'll be bringing it to you live here on CannabisRadio.com. 3 p.m. Pacific to 9 p.m. Pacific. We got six hours of coverage because we got four time zones to cover and nine states voting on reform. Plus, we got all sorts of local votes happening in California, Oregon, Washington, and Colorado to bring to you. It's going to be a doozy. Marijuana election night. CannabisRadio.com and hashtag MJ Election Night. We've been discussing the case of Keith uh, Lamont Scott, the man who was killed by police in Charlotte, North Carolina, and has provoked protests and outrage and looting and rioting and just unrest out there in uh, Charlotte. It's a part of the larger phenomenon uh, that's fallen under the hashtag Black Lives Matter to chronicle the uh, all too frequent killing of African-Americans by police in circumstances where you would almost be assured that a white person would not be facing that problem. And that's another big story to have to talk about with racial profiling and is there systemic racism and then you get the people responding back about black on black crime and you know other red herrings to try to divert the discussion. And this Keith Lamont Scott case isn't a c- 
cut and dried case either because of the video that's available and the officers claiming he had a gun and showing you know evidence. There's a gun. There's a holster. There's a joint. We don't know where that gun came from. And there's some question by by people that have evaluated the videos that say it looks as if the gun might have been planted. And it's not beyond the realm of possibility that there are cops out there that keep a drop gun, as they call it, something they can drop at a scene when a shooting goes bad to prove that the perp had a gun, press his hand up against that, and boom, you got DNA on it, right? That's not outside the realm of possibility. So it's not the the best case because he might have had a gun. Those cops may have been perfectly justified in reacting with deadly force. But what we're focusing on is the initial encounter itself, the moment that made it possible for this all to happen. And that was two plainclothes officers seeing a guy smoking a joint in his car, then later seeing that guy with a gun in the same car and concluding, aha, he's got a gun. Now we got to bust him for weed. When the gun is legal, presumably, under the open carry laws of North Carolina. What was it about a man having a gun that suddenly made the weed more dangerous? Also consider the time it took them between one event and the other. In the report that Chief Putney uh, told us, those cops, they were plainclothes cops in a plain car, saw the weed, ignored it, saw the gun, decided they needed to do something, So they left the scene so they could change into police vests so they could be easily identified. So this danger, this terrible danger that was befalling Charlotte, North Carolina, to the point where they needed to abandon the warrant they were serving on a suspect who is already a known criminal who's violated the probation or parole or whatever the hell it was. This danger was so severe that they didn't just jump out of their car as plainclothes cops to deal with the situation, but took the time to leave the scene, put on different clothes or slip some vests on or whatever, and then come back to deal with the problem. That's, that's, what a da- that's how much a danger it was. Yeah. And then I, I have some other people on my feed that were coming back at me with, uh, uh, well, of course, Weed and a gun is a danger when the two by themselves are not. It's like matches and gasoline. If I see you playing with matches, that's not a danger. Uh, Much. If I see you carrying a can of gasoline, that's not illegal. But if I see you walking around with lit matches and a can of gasoline, that could be dangerous. That was what that was the comparison that was given to me. And I thought, well, I suppose that works if you think that a joint is to a gun like a match is to gasoline. <laughs> if if you believe that somehow when you smoke a joint, it makes you want to go on a murderous rampage. I mean, if you're Christine Tatum, this makes sense. If you're pop pot, if your parents opposed to pot pot, this makes sense. But anyone with any anecdotal understanding of marijuana or scientific research on cannabis understands that pot makes you mellow. He's probably less likely to go off on a gun rampage if he's smoking the joint. 
But what this really is, is it falls under the longtime uh, meme, the longtime frame that has developed around drug use and drug users. And it's that frame of the drug user as uncontrollable monster. Drug user as, you know, vampire. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde might be one of the first literary examples that you could think of, right? This idea that when you're sober, you're sitting there with a gun and everything's fine, but, boy, you take a puff of the demon reefer and you've lost your mind. You're out of control. You're a, you're a maniac. And this has been applied to every drug and every drug user outside of, you know, white mainstream acceptable society. I mean, you can you know, have your Adderall prescription and take your Xanax. That's you're cool. You can have your guns. But no, no, you're smoking weed, snorting coke, shooting heroin. Uh, then you are crazy and out of your out of your mind and you don't have gun rights anymore. At least that's the. That's the point this guy was trying to make to me, I guess. And I, and I returned that with the whole prescription drug argument. Like, okay, so if you think that someone who's using, and in fact, the guy came back and he said, well, yeah, somebody's using a mind-altering or, or uh, physically impairing substance. Uh, yeah, the cops have a right to check out. I mean, you can't, you know, be wandering around the streets drunk and have a gun. Like, okay, if that's the standard you want to set, that people who are currently under the influence of mind or reaction impairing substances don't have their Second Amendment rights anymore. If you want to set that standard, okay, but understand that antihistamines affect your judgment and your, uh, your uh, reaction times, Xanax, cough syrup, uh, what else could we name? Prozac, Adderall. <laughs> There's a big list of stuff that can Im impact your judgment, your mental acuity, your physical impairment. You, you really want to take Second Amendment rights from all those people or just the illegal drugs, right? Just, just the illegal ones. Yeah, that's the way it works. You can have your Oxy prescription and uh, we're not going to worry about your open carry. If, if uh, the guy was sitting in his car and the cops had seen him with a pill bottle that he was opening and then taking the pill and drink of water and then saw him with a gun. You think he'd be dead now? No, I don't think so. Well, for that matter, I think if the guy was white, he wouldn't be dead now, but we're leaving that discussion for another rant. We're operating this discussion on the hilarious presumption that all men are created equal in the eyes of the law. But anyway... There's other writers that are covering this. Uh, I found one uh, did a great job on this in The Intercept, another one out there in The Guardian. I think uh, this one here is from The Washington Post. Christopher Ingram, who I love and adore out at the Wonk blog, writes, the title is, Marijuana really can be deadly, but not in the way you probably expect. And it's the number one most read piece on The Washington Post today. And it brings up his marijuana use, Keith Lamont Scott's marijuana use, and how it was not a big deal. And uh, the uh, officers, once they saw the gun, then they had to interact with them. This is the police chief, Putney, uh, speaking in Charlotte, 
courtesy of the Washington Post. Let's see if we can get that audio for you here. Maybe. First of all, my uh, thoughts and prayers go out to the Scott family and the family of all of our officers who've been impacted. These are tough times for our city, but we're going to get through it. Throughout the entire process, and that's really what I'm talking about, is the sequence of events that got us here, the process that led us to being able to release uh, additional evidence and uh, video footage that will explain um, what I believe are the absolute facts which have not changed. Uh, my priority has been throughout the whole investigative process uh, to maintain the integrity of the investigation because that's essential. Well, today, after having a conversation with the State Bureau of Investigations, the lead agency in the investigation at this point, I've decided that we're at a stage where I can release additional information. The reason for the encounter is because laws were broken and the possession of a weapon with that uh, law violation caused the officers to escalate their attention onto him. They were specifically looking for somebody wanted. That's why they were there. Um, and to be quite honest with you, what I'm going to tell you is there's marijuana there that they weren't focused on and they saw him with it until a gun was produced. The footage itself will not create in anyone's mind absolute certainty as to what this case represents and what the outcome should be. The footage only supports all of the other information, physical evidence, um, the statements from witnesses and officers, and all of the other information, scientific and physical, that create the entire picture. So that's the police chief, Kerr Putney, out there in Charlotte, North Carolina, telling you that the marijuana was no big deal, but as soon as we saw a gun, it was a big deal because marijuana plus gun automatically equals danger. So, uh, yeah, that's what we're facing here. And uh, this is not just this case. There's so many cases we could cover. And Christopher Ingram at the, uh, at the uh, Washington Post points out, quote, It's not the first time low-level marijuana possession has escalated to a fatal police encounter. Last August, 19-year-old Zachary Hammond was fatally shot by police in Seneca, South Carolina, as he tried to flee from an attempted marijuana bust. P.S., by the way, uh, Zachary is white. Uh, In 2012, officers killed unarmed Bronx teenager Ramarley Graham as he tried to flush pot down the toilet. Uh, P.S., by the way, the cops saw him and then chased him. And he ran into his grandmother's apartment, I believe it was. And they chased him into the grandmother's apartment, uh, bursting down the door to try to stop him from flushing weed down the toilet, in which they ended up shooting and killing him in his grandmother's apartment. Trevon Cole was doing the same thing, trying to flush pot down a toilet, when police killed him in Las Vegas in 2010 during a drug raid at which no weapons were found. Yes, so um, the only solution to this is legalization. In North Carolina, marijuana is the lowest level misdemeanor possible, and it's essentially what normal calls decriminalized using the definition that it's something you can't get jail time for. Now, to me, decriminalized means it's something you can't be arrested for, something you just get a ticket for, but whatever. In North Carolina, you can't get jail time 
for that marijuana, and yet Scott was killed. New York State has decriminalization. Summary offense. Ticket. Fine. That's where Ramarley Graham was killed. Nevada has decriminalization. Possession of an ounce or less is a ticket. That's where Cole was killed. Because, folks, decriminalization is not legalization. Decriminalization means marijuana is still contraband and the cops can still bug you, bust you, harass you, search you, escalate an encounter with you over it. This is why I get so angry when I hear those stoners against legalization in California saying, we don't need to legalize California. It's decrim. You only get a ticket. It's only a ticket for decrim. Yep, it's only, it's only a fine in North Carolina, too. Fat lot of good that did Keith Lamont Scott. Speaking of California, next Wednesday, week from today, I will be in California, in Sacramento, at the great <laughs> Prop 64 debate, facing off against uh, Stoners Against Legalization's Kevin's, uh, Kevin Saunders and supposedly Letitia Pepper, an alleged attorney. Me and uh, Dale Schaefer will be taking them on, and I will try to bring you live streaming coverage if possible. It'll be 11 a.m. Pacific on Wednesday. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. The cannabis industry is growing. Business is booming. And as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your canna business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. Dear Mom, when I was in college, I used to drink a lot. It was kind of crazy. But now that I'm older, I prefer to use marijuana. It's less harmful to my body, I don't get hungover, and honestly, I feel safer around marijuana users. I hope this makes sense, but if not, let's talk. I love you. Get the latest updates on the Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking the Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association 
MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association and the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they pay me to say that. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Rust on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. We're closing up shop here on the banks of the Willamette from the 26th floor of the Ardea Condominium Towers. But not for long. Got a new place I'll be moving into soon out there in East Portland, uh, a place that's going to be uh, a home of four marijuana activists, all all marijuana activists. One's a, a clinic owner or clinic manager, a medical marijuana clinic manager. Another one's a publisher of Oregon's Cannabis Connection newspaper, and me, and my IT guy with the new WeedNews.co website. And so we'll be uh, sharing a home out there in East Portland, setting up a new studio, should be pretty awesome, and we're going to call the place Delta Nine House, an homage to Animal House there, Delta Nine House, so... uh, that's where we'll be coming to you from in sometime in October, I think. We'll get moved in. Well, that song means it's all over. Time flies when you legalize. That's all we got for today. But join us tomorrow. We got more news and interviews you can use for the cannabis community, including our bi-monthly visit from Jorge Cervantes in our Cultivator's Corner. If you got some grow questions, you can get those in on tomorrow's show. Then on Friday, Marijuana Election Night preview continues. We'll take a look at Massachusetts and speak with someone from the Question 4 campaign out there. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it.